Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. everybody welcome to the pinelander podcast my name is paul lefevre i'm here with my ranger buddy mike blackburn today is friday the 29th of july 2022 and it's another exciting day in our undisclosed location and it's just good to be around people that are not woke-tastic woke-tacular we went to another undisclosed location that can remain nameless and uh, we had to sit through some things that were woke. And uh, so I'm just kind of detoxing right now. But uh, it's always just to be good around, to be good to be around people that uh, are of the same mindset. So uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, some issues that I, I hope uh, and I know that will be important to you, uh, our listener, and that is America. America's uh, future, America's freedom. Uh, the, uh, the, every, every, all the values that made our country free. And, uh, so we just want to take, a, uh, one of the episodes to talk about that, kind of talk about where we're at as a nation and, uh, maybe plot a way forward and what we can do to kind of change things. Yeah. I mean, uh, my thoughts, um, are, when are we going to stop being so polite and, you can't help but sometimes you come out of these various different meetings, okay? It doesn't really matter what the meeting is. Um, you could be sitting on a board, um, you know, whatever, kind of a policy-type discussion. And the frustration, I think, that a lot of us have is we really don't know how to respond to some of the ridiculousness that we've signed on to for the last five decades, really. And, uh, you know, one of the conversations that you and I've had, Paul, is, you know, we were nice. You know, they were saying, hey, you know, what about diversity? What about this? What about that? And inclusiveness and feelings. And, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And we were all like, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, why not? Let's give it a try. I mean, you think this stuff's important? Uh, We certainly don't want to, you know, destroy someone's psyche or make them feel like less of a person or anything like that. I mean, we want to be caring, you know, compassionate people. But I think after about five decades of this nonsense, I think we can all kind of look around and say, failure. Yeah, failure. Okay? It it, it hasn't worked. So the thing that I'm always wondering is, you know, when are we finally going to say, hey, listen, we tried it, and it's not producing. We're going to need to... We're going to need to, like, uh, dump this nonsense and get back to the things that actually work for this country. What do you think, Paul? Right on. I can't agree more, Mike. And then, you know, we also have uh, a guest back on today that we had on before, NC Scout. I want to welcome you, brother, back to the podcast. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, man, always a pleasure. Uh, And our topic is really, you know, what, uh, how can we push back with some of this woke-tacular, woke-tastic, and I made up those two phrases, I think. I might have to, pat, that's patent pending, but how can we push back at our level, at the grassroots level, just regular old Americans trying to do the right thing, trying to live right? You know, what can we do? And that's really the topic. So I'm happier on today. Yeah, right on. Yeah, we just... Uh, uh, that's, we just, just to kind of give you guys a little bit more of a background, we were on a, uh, we sat on a, we watched a panel kind of set up. We saw the bureaucracy. You probably, you may have been, been in one of these meetings before where you have all the different, uh, representatives, uh, from the state, you know, and they show up and then you got the law enforcement and the fire department, all these things. And then, uh, but then you have the bureaucracy involved, uh, surrounding a topic, and this topic was uh, active shooter awareness and response. Yep. And then yep. you have 
the bureaucracy, bureaucracy, if I can get this word right, really just kind of clouds the main topic and how to fix things. And so people have to just fall over themselves in order to stay woke in order, and they just can't look at the big picture and see what the big problem is. So that's, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So uh, just, just to, to, from our perspective, okay. I, I feel sorry for law enforcement. Um, I feel sorry for the educators because what happens is everyone wants to figure out the reaction. Everyone wants to critique the reaction. And I'm wondering when, as Americans, we're going to say, why don't we quit worrying about the consequence and how to react to the consequence? When are we actually going to start addressing the problem? Right. Right. And I think, unfortunately, well, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I think that we're rapidly approaching that that point. I think that we're we're are. If you look at a insurgency model and, you know, the the insurgency model that a lot of people, um, you you know, what we look at from the military of how an insurgency uh, is active and the phases that it goes through. A lot of times what we failed to understand was the situation and the scenario that developed that led up to the insurgency fomenting and what the insurgency is can be uh, readily understood as uh, it's a type of revolution and where we're headed we know that that movements social movements are one of two things they're either revolutionary or reactionary and where we're headed is to a very strong and stern reaction where you know just as as you pointed out the social control mechanisms have been beat down and degraded to the point to where we're, we're forced to accept things that, and factors that we know are costing to a, 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 a decent and moral civil order. And it's, it's becoming a, a thing that we don't recognize. Like uh, I was teaching uh, two classes back to back over the weekend. And, and one of the running jokes was, um, you know, I had a fighting carbine and then I taught an intelligence collection and tradecraft course. And the running joke was that, you know, our, our diplomats that we sent to the French embassy at the end of last week were, you know, a, 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 a aging man who's pretending to be a woman and a guy who's in charge of our nuclear waste disposal, which is, you know, a, a, a huge, huge deal. And this guy pretends that he's a dog and, and is just bizarre by anybody's estimation. And, and this is what we see on the world stage. And we're being forced fed this. People are fed up. And the, and the folks that I have coming to class are your, your professional class folks. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're accountants. They're people who um, have high levels of education. I've had academics in class. And these, these folks are completely fed up from top to bottom. And they see this stuff for what it is. And we're being force-fed these things. I've had, um, in, in uh, the fighting carbine course, I had uh, a couple of guys who are active law enforcement. And one of them is a law enforcement trainer. Uh, and he had come from uh, being active duty in the Army great guy and we were having a a conversation that was very similar to this in that recognition that people are just fed up with this so in saying that at what point are we no longer going to be concerned with the consequences i think that we're very close to heading to that point now the breaking point you know the the sexualization of children Hmm. which is caustic to any moral and just civil order. And, you know, we, all three of us have experienced um, scenarios overseas where uh, things culturally have been very different to what we accept here in the United States. But the, the sexualization of children and what we see, I believe, is going to be the breaking point. Um, now, there'll be a few others, but that is the primary one. And that's the one 
you know, when I have women who come to class who are learning how to use firearms or learning how to uh, stand up off grid communications like I had out in, in uh, Wyoming, and they all tell me pretty much the same thing. I'm here because I'm here to protect my family. They, they're awakening that maternal instinct of family protection and recognizing that, yeah, there's a there's a real threat out there and I need to get prepared for this. If for no other reason that I need to protect my children and I need to to protect others in my community, their kids, because these predators are out there and there, there's no pushback. There's there's nothing. Is it now addressing? Is uh, it go is ahead. it going? Yeah, and I, I you bring up a really important point here. Is it going to be kind of like what we saw in Virginia? Is it going to be the mama bears that really end up turning this thing around? I think so. Now, it, it won't be exclusively them, them, but we're seeing that that aspect come out in huge numbers. And I tell you, the left in America is really scared of that fact. You know, the reason the reason that the FBI, Merrick Garland, uh, is the director of the FBI, the guy who, who's still salty because he didn't get his spot on the Supreme Court under Obama. The reason that this guy came out and said that parents protesting uh, uh, at school board meetings were the the terrorist threat, right? That, that's what this guy said. It was very blatant. It was absurd to all of us on one level. But the reason that we think that it's absurd is that most people don't understand what he was actually saying and what he was getting at. They're terrified. The left is terrified that people that they traditionally leaned on as a voting block are now waking up and they're now reacting to this and saying, no, 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 we're not going along with this because they traditionally in, in elections in the past and the way that they attained power was that they appealed to them as a voting block. They appealed to the middle-aged housewife who, you know, maybe gets a little more emotionally invested in things than her husband does. Right. And makes decisions based on emotion rather than uh, rational thought. Right. And, and, and a lot of people do. And, and um, women do, especially. And, and that's not to denigrate women. It's just a biological, uh, physiological response. But now they're waking up and they're pushing back and they're saying specifically, hey, we're not taking this anymore. They're seeing this with the Latino community as well. They said, you know, most recently with this Dobbs decision. All of a sudden, you had your most militant base on the left out there. These these are your Antifa activists. You know, one day they, they put on their Antifa shirt. The next day they put on their BLM shirt. The next day they put on their, um, you know, whatever other organization shirt. But they're all the same core in the same cadre of people, right? And you've got your Latino community in America that the left has been really courting hard for a while now. I mean, the the, uh, the chairman of the Democrat Party is a Latino guy, and he's saying, you know, hey, this is we're gonna we're gonna uh, weaponize this voter base as a block. That's what they've been saying. Well, in the wake of the Stobbs decision, one of the things that's very important to understand about Latin culture is that they are deeply and devoutly Catholic, and all of a sudden you have the left coming out in force and demonizing the Catholic Church and saying, you know, hey. You're the reason that we now can't have abortion in all 50 states. And they're blaming them and they're saying, we're going to go and, and uh, you know, make threats against the church, everything that they've been doing. Well, your Latin American communities who are deeply socially conservative are saying, oh, wait a minute. This is this is what you're going to do. Well, we're going to turn against you. And we're seeing it. We see it in South Texas right now. We're seeing it in Florida. Some of you, you know, the, the folks that I have come to class that are from those communities are saying, you know, hey, this is we realize that we've been lied to. The left is terrified by that. They're terrified of the fact that voter blocks that they traditionally leaned on are now reacting to it and saying, hey, we're not going along with the stuff that you're doing. And the only people who are left are their most militant, wild eyed base and they're going to they are going to turn violent because they have no other alternative. When a social movement is fomenting on the revolutionary path 
and they have all of the activities of a of a uh, guerrilla underground that are uh, building up on on the revolutionary pyramid, um, the insurgency pyramid. When when it's building up to the overt warfare phase, for the folks who and I know the two of you are very familiar with that. For the folks who are listening to this who aren't familiar with it, you know you can search for it and and uh, look at the images of it. You'll see the the insurgency pyramid, uh, the the heiress docs that that are out there uh aris that's out there. there there's a whole handbook on insurgency warfare that you can download for free from uh, special operations command.mil and it's got it in it as well uh, and that's a very interesting read well where we are in terms of the left is they're they're facing a do or die moment where they're going to have to act and if they don't they're going to they're they're going to lose their mass base and everything that they've worked for to build up to this point. They're the revolutionary cadre that have come from the liberal arts and academia that they've worked in. And this what we're seeing now is a culmination of probably 70 years and, and maybe in some cases uh, much longer. That's all coalescing together into a large scale revolutionary movement. But the, what they're they're learning is that it's fragmented and that they've overextended themselves and it's reached a critical mass point that they're going to have to go into the overt phase of their warfare or or they're going to lose face. One of the big things with the left right now is they've relied too much on academia and academia has kind of got very comfortable in uh well, the liberal arts, let me be very specific, the liberal arts academia has gotten very comfortable in its status of talking about things, maybe guiding protests and stuff, but they're not willing to go further than that. They haven't, they, they've been hesitant to go too much further than that. And now what you have is a younger generation, the under 30 generation that's entering academia they've been brought up and they've been groomed in academia and they they're chomping at the bit to be more violent and that's why we've seen this and we've seen it in in uh, portland we've seen it in seattle we've seen it in st louis i think that um one of the reasons that that they're not very active right now even in the wake of um a lot of the the things where uh, you know my, even myself, I predicted that they were going to get much more violent after the Dobbs decision than they did, mm. is because we've got the midterms coming up, and their political commissars, the political component to their revolutionary movement, is saying, "Hey, you know, we we might have overstretched ourselves here. You're going to have to tone it down, and if you don't, that overhead cover that you have with all of our allied." district attorneys that we've put in power are not going to uh, give you the, the overhead cover that you, you you enjoyed up until now. And so that's why they're, they're not out there. What we're talking about on the right, a lot of the folks are, are uh, you know, our side is reactionary to this, to all of the social pressures that, that we're being uh, subjected to, that we're being pushed towards. And we're seeing it. One of the very significant things, and I, I talked about this over the weekend, too, just in, in a casual conversation, was the fact that recruiting numbers, recruiting numbers for the Army specifically, are at an all-time low. And, and this is very alarming. There was an uh, infantry school class that was supposed to pick up um, just at the, the beginning of July, and they didn't have enough students to do it. You know, when I went through infantry school, as a brand new Joe, they were turning people away left and right. They were getting rid of guys. They, you know, if, if you didn't, if you didn't show up with a minimum standard of physical fitness, they were kicking guys out. Hey, you know, uh, and, hey, uh, I go ahead. Yeah. So on that point there, what do you, what do you attribute to that? Uh, the, the, these abysmal numbers. Uh, I know that Sally it's something has like two bombies because yeah, yeah because it's, um, you're absolutely right about the standards. I mean, for the first time in a very long time, right? Um, you don't have to have a high school diploma. Yeah. Um, I mean, you still have to get a certain score, I'm assuming, on you know an ASVAB or whatever sort of entry exam that they, they are doing. But we are seeing those standards getting lowered and lowered and lowered because they're just not yep. making numbers. 
Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, it's, um, the draw is not there. The, the types of right. folks that are interested in breaking stuff and killing things, okay, killing people and breaking stuff, you know, your, yep. your, your warriors that, that, uh, that would be interested in going into this sort of profession, they're, they're looking over there and they're like, there's nothing there for me. I'm not interested in wearing high heels. I'm not interested in, in exploring my gender or my, my emotions. I want to get after it. I want to play a little dodgeball. I want to put a uniform on. I want to kick some tail. And right. the military is not offering that. Remember the Marine Corps commercials? I, I My God, I mean, if they, they almost made a Marine out of me, okay? Those things were awesome. You had some guy, you know, scaling a cliff, you know, with a sword, taking down a dragon. I mean, the Marine yeah. Corps, the Marine oh, Corps, yeah. the Marine Corps knew how to market and target what they were looking for. You don't see commercials like that anymore. Yeah, I mean, hey, yeah. just to put on my, this may be a bit uh, tinfoil hatted, but uh, maybe not. But I, I think a lot of our problems go back to just the responsible male in a household, a man being a father, uh, bringing up men. You know, uh, like you just said, this uh, the guy has two moms. Yeah. Okay, well, that could happen, but, uh, you know, you can fight through it. But that's kind of a big problem is you don't have somebody that's got, hey, this is my role model. And then and another thing that really just got my uh, brain going here is uh, that just a level of patriotism is probably at a, a lowest level that I've seen in a long time. Uh, and, and that has yeah. got to be a part of this, just people having like, you know, you would well, you would trigger people if you read uh, MacArthur's duty on our country. Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, and and uh, you know, because we'd want to, or just the beginning of Patton, something like that. You know, to hey, this is duty. It's a uh, it's our watch. You know, all those things. That's a uh, it's it's uh, it's abysmal. Those numbers is depressing. Was this was this a part of the seventy years the left's seventy year insurgency plan? Is is, is weakening the armed forces so. a part of that? Oh, I think so. I, I, I absolutely think, I mean, when you, yeah. you talk about uh, the the insurgency pyramid and we'll examine that from a revolutionary model and a revolutionary mindset, that's exactly what they've done. They, they groomed a cadre. They have, um, you know, fomented direct action cells. And they learned a lot of the lessons the hard way in the 1970s. You know, your, your William Ayers and Bernadine Doran types there. That's a, you know, the two of them are a very good example because they were pardoned. They never should have been pardoned, but they were pardoned by Jimmy Carter. Um, you know, and, and they, they never should have been pardoned, but they got off on a technicality because the FBI used some some pretty ruthless methods to go after them. Well, now look at where we are. That was the 1970s. You fast forward 50 years and, you know, they were out there. They were killing police officers. They bombed the Pentagon of all things. They bombed the Pentagon. And now we fast forward 50 years on their plan. They went back into academia and they weren't alone. Okay, they weren't alone. They had a lot of sympathizers that were out there that maybe were active in different ways that didn't get caught maybe weren't uh, as violent, but they had every bit the same level of intent and dedication to communist revolution here in the United States. And now look at where we are. They went into academia and they continued their plan. They continued their revolutionary model. And here we are. Mm -hmm. And they always went to the most elite institutions first. Now, when, when we look at uh, Mark Milley, for example, you know, Mark Milley, he's uh, drawn a lot of heat. I've talked about him a lot. Uh, fortunately, I never had to work under him. But, you know, this guy, I have his his uh, uh, honors thesis from when he was going to Princeton. All right. He's part of that power elite class. He came from the most elite institutions here in the United States educationally. And look at where he ended up and look at what he's done since he's been there he's approved all this stuff and going back to the the uh, degradation of the military you know you guys are absolutely right the the uh, the warrior class out there is looking at commercials like sally has two mommies and saying i don't want to be a part of that 
that's not what a warrior goes and does. And so when when we say that, you know, patriotism is dead in America, no, it might be dead in a certain segment of the military. Absolutely. But it is patriotism, I would say, among uh, millennials and Generation Z, uh, the, you know, the, the next generation, the generation that, that would be uh, qualified military recruits right now, their patriotism is at an all time high, maybe as high as, as right after 9-11. The thing is, is that they're using an alternative avenue to express that. I'm getting a lot of young folks in class. I mean, just just the, this past weekend, you know, I'm down in in uh, uh, far eastern Tennessee. It's hot. It was you know 95 degrees on the range one of those days. Everybody in my class, with the exception of a couple guys, everybody in my class was under 40. I had several millennials that were in there. I had a few Gen Z guys that were in there, and they were paying their own way to be in class. These guys are deeply patriotic. They're just seeking alternative ways to learn those same skills. And I'm really proud to see that. Uh, really, really proud to see that and, and to be a part of that. And so, you know, as far as um, where we're going as a country, there absolutely is pushback. And there's a reaction that's happening on part of the right. And they're going out, they're getting training. They're learning this stuff. They're organizing on their own. It's an organic thing. They're going out to the protests, you know, where, where there are protests. And, and maybe it's not even a protest for anything specific. They're just getting out there. They're just gathered up. You know, maybe it's it's putting uh, I did that stickers, you know, with Joe Biden on the gas pumps. They're seeing all of that. And the gas prices are another thing. I mean, when you have people who can barely afford to even go to work, and they're throwing their hands up and saying, hey, you know, what's the point? We follow the economics of all that. People are extremely frustrated and they're already pointing at a guy like Biden and Kamala Harris and saying, you know, these are the people, this incompetence here. These are the people who are responsible for it. They can blame Donald Trump for this. They can blame Republicans for this all they want. Nobody out there with two brain cells is buying it. And so the only people that the left has left is this wild-eyed group that they have, this loose amalgamation of people who are really nut jobs to begin with. They're unstable. They're prone to violence. A lot of them are drug addicted. And that's the only people that they have left. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not a major threat to stability in the United States. They absolutely are. right? I, but I am explaining where they are coming from. I'm explaining that they're not the, the all-seeing, all-knowing, you know, insurmountable folks that, that, you know, some on the right make the left out to be. They are exactly what they are. They're a bunch of strung-out losers. And as soon as that, that point comes, and it is an it, it interesting um, speculation as to when that point's going to come. I think that it is coming soon where there's folks on the right that are saying, you know what? I know you're responsible for all this and I'm going to start taking out some of these leftists that I see that are, that are really just nasty characters. Um, yes. it, it, and I'm not condoning it. I want to be specific. I'm not condoning it. I'm not advocating, but I am going to say that, you know, it, it is a serious thing and, and we are headed towards that time. I mean, hasn't it just been our complacency over these past decades? that's really just allowed uh, this, these folks to, uh, you know, get as powerful and, and, and as you know, dug in as they have. I mean, isn't it just now we're starting to realize it's gotten so ridiculous that we just can't ignore it anymore. Right. Right. And it has, it absolutely has, it, you know, it, but, but I, I want to revisit the sexualization of children. I think that I think, you, folks, I think you're absolutely right about that, uh, about yeah. that being probably the impetus that really, you know, it's, turns it's this just thing. It's a bridge too far. Yeah. 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 If there's one thing that we hold sacred is our children. We should hold sacred and the family. And this is the, the center of, uh, I mean, America is really just a collection of, of, of families and, and, uh, yeah, that is definitely where we have to draw the mark. I, I, I mean, do. I mean, we've already drawn the line. But. I believe this is a, a good versus evil 
yeah, of absolutely. spiritual battle. And I do believe that uh, there's a there's an element of pedophilia involved in the left. Um, oh yeah, there's a there's a. I, I think a lot of people don't want to realize that because it's a little too dark for them to deal with. But I. Right. Listen, it's getting to the point where you you really just can't even ignore it. You start looking at uh, just you know little things like Hunter Biden's laptop, and it's just the level of depravity um, and sickness is just sometimes it's, you know people you know strong men look at that stuff and say, "Man, I can't even look at this stuff. You know, this is just ridiculous. It's over the top." Right, right, and you know that brings up another very strong data point of. Look at Hunter Biden. Look at the Clintons. Look at what this this power elite, this this the you know the very top of the political class, the political pyramid in the United States. You know, Clinton would have been thrown in in prison had she been one of us. You know, had had you know we done a tenth of what she did, maintained a server with stuff that, that's earmarked for, for SCI, for compartmentalized privilege information, had, had we done any of that stuff and got caught and subject to CID investigation, we'd have been railroaded. I mean, we'd, we'd have got keel hauled. We would still be in prison right now. I mean, we, you know, we, we would have, everything would have been thrown at us. The entire weight of the UCMJ would have been thrown at us. And yet she's still out there. She's still doing what she's doing, right? You've got Hunter Biden, who is, it, 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 you know, the cat's out of the bag now. Yes, was he, were, were they doing things that were, uh, you know, human trafficking, pedophilia, drug use, drug trafficking, everything, everything, you name it, it's all out there. And th- this guy has literally done it all. And where's the investigation on him? And so we've got a very blatant, blatant dual system of justice. We have people in the political hierarchy of the Democrat Politburo that say it's okay to go harass the conservative Supreme Court justices, that it's okay to dox them, to go after them. But if you breathe a single word about how Hey, January 6th, man, you know, people had a right to be there. They had a right to organize. They had a right to get out there and express their support for the president of the United States, which is exactly what they were doing. Oh, oh, well, you know, you're a terrorist. You're 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 the worst of, uh, of everything. You're right there with bin Laden, you know, and that is that is what the media has made conservatives out to be. That is what. Um, you know, if, if you express these points on Twitter, they'll ban you, they'll censor you, they'll take, take out your right to express your opinion if it's the wrong opinion. But at the same time, we have these people who are getting away with it. And that is another flashpoint. It's a bridge too far. Yeah, I mean, Twitter, I think uh, Elon Musk has done a good job of exposing Twitter for really what it is, which is just an arm of the intelligence community with about probably somewhere between 50 to 85% bots. I mean, uh, yep. Twitter's ridiculous. Um, I, I get on Twitter every now and then just to, just to talk to the AI. Cause that's about all the only thing that's on there now. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So we're starting to see people speak out now. We're, spart- we're, we're, we're starting to see the moral courage in, in America. So there's hope, right? Um, isn't this one of the reasons why the election, um, we really have to get on top of our election system. I mean, obviously, uh, the left uh, is at a huge minority. Um, it's just, it's there's just not that many people that are supportive of men dressed up in onesies swimming against women. Okay, it's just it's it's not popular. Um, we we do need to get in there and figure out and make sure that we have safe and fair elections, don't we? Isn't this how they maintain power? Right. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's how they're maintaining power. They they're 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 insulating themselves. I mean, we never got to the bottom of the election fraud. And and it was there. For, you know, we got told by all the powers that be, oh, there was nothing to see here. 
oh, there's nothing to see here. There was no election fraud. Don't worry about any of that. Except that, that there absolutely was. I mean, Dinesh D'Souza's work, uh, 2,000 Mules, that exposed it all. He had bulletproof, 100% bulletproof evidence, the smoking gun, that it was there. And it was not an isolated case. You know, and you have the dementia case that's out there that, that is occupying the White House right now. Who let the cat out of the bag? That's one thing that we can be thankful for with dementia cases is that they're going to tell you the truth with, with, with their Freudian slips. That's he right. Said, we, we put together the largest voter fraud operation in yeah. history. Yeah, he said did. that, and that's a quote. And he meant it. He meant it. Yeah, he it's, it. it's got absolutely did. I, I remember early on it was, um, you know, anybody could sort of be shamed. You you don't believe that the 2020 election was 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 fraudulent, do you? Oh, no, 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 of course not. It was the safest, most secure election in U.S. history. Right. I mean, you, we're not hearing that anymore because, let's be honest, I mean, you'd have to be an idiot to not think that there's massive voter fraud today. I, I'm sorry. You, you, you're living in a shoebox. It's right. as time goes on, it's it's being exposed. It is. Let's let's be honest. Voter fraud is a multi-billion-dollar worldwide industry. That there is huge money in manipulating votes, and we right. have to get on top of it here. And I and I think a lot of people are doing some uh, some real important work uh, trying to get on top of our our election system. Yeah, a hundred percent, and and it's transnational. I mean, it, it's it's transnational. There there are outside influences, and it's not just China. I mean, China is is the easy answer for for uh, you know, it, and and I'm not diminishing the Chinese threat at all. I think they are the single greatest external threat that we face to the United States today external threat i think that we we have a higher threat to the united states internally here it's kind of uh, promoting our own self-destruction but china is waiting in the wings but there are other threats as well there are other threats that are external to the united states that have uh that, that have been vote rigging that have they they specialize in um attacking our election integrity because they've been doing it in other countries. Uh, the Sunrise Movement, which is a leftist political action committee, it's uh, quasi-overt now, but it wasn't previously. This is one that has been very, very active in, surprise, surprise, all of the places that were accused of having the, the most egregious voter fraud. They've been very active there. They've continued to be very active there. And so, and this is one that is not a household name here in the United States, but yet here it is, you know, and, and it's being exposed. And these guys have deep ties to Serbian uh, influences and the Serbian color revolution that goes all the way back to there and probably prior to it. Um, They've been very active in elections inside of Europe. They've been very active at vote rigging inside of Africa as well um, and creating destabilization in order to get specific political leaders uh, more active. And so, you know, it, and, and in placing them and getting that economic security that certain interests were looking for in the African continent as well as in Europe. So now we find them active here in the United States. And, you know, it's, it's been one of those things, again, it's, it's not a household name, but if you look up where they're active, you're going to see it. And so now, now we're putting faces with organizations. We're putting names with organizations. And the wildest part about all this is that one other thing that's, that social media, Twitter, uh, Reddit is another one. One other thing that they're really good about or really good for, for an intelligence value uh, from from an open source perspective, is that they're openly bragging about it. You just have to know where to look for it. But these guys are openly bragging about it on their own social media platforms. They're telling us in real time what they're doing. It's just that most conservatives aren't indoctrinated to that world. 
And so they're not going to know where to look. They're not going to know exactly what to look for or what the what necessarily that they're reading. But I promise you, it's there. And there's a multitude of tools. Really, we could do a whole other podcast on that. There's a multitude of tools on how to track these guys in real time, what they're doing, um, especially with Twitter. There's there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, uh, social media mapping and kind of creating that that spider web, if you will, of terror networks, things that, that the Intel guys would be doing overseas. We can do all those same things just based on their own open source tools. Maltigo is a really good program for that, and it has a freeware version of it. Uh, another one is GeoCreepy. Um, GeoCreepy, despite the name, uh, what it does is if you have a Twitter account, you can follow other Twitter accounts and you can see where they have logged in. And so if they're using a mobile device, which I would say, I would venture to guess that of the the uh, accounts on Twitter that are genuine people, I would say north of 95% of those people are using mobile devices to log into their accounts versus uh, a, a standalone computer. And so you can see where they've logged in. You can see where they've logged in from. And if they're on a phone, you can track where those phones have been. You can begin to track their patterns of life like that. And so because a lot of these leftists have operated with this hubris, they don't think that they can be tracked in real time. They don't think that um, anybody has got the, the, their matching skill level to do this. And they, they're not afraid of our government institution because our institutions are, are going after conservatives, apparently. They're, they're, open, uh, they're, they're operating right out there in the open. And so we can, we, they, there's a multitude of tools to use if somebody really wanted to map out the hierarchy of some of these militant leftist organizations, we have the ability to do that. Well, my guess is it's a public lead right to the swamp. I mean, uh, I think uh, that place is probably done already taken over up there. Um, what else do we got going on there, Paul? I mean, hey, uh, so I was going to ask you, you mentioned uh, the uh, book of Dinesh, Dinesh was, uh, his next book coming out, 2000 Mules. I think that's coming out the end of August. Is there other books that you could recommend for us to kind of get a handle on how the, the left operates and uh, kind of uh, so that you can kind of sense, you know, get a sense for that? I would uh, I would recommend a film, a very old film. And I know the two of you are familiar with it, uh, but the Battle of Algiers, the uh, Battle of Algiers yeah, yeah. has been referenced over and over and over again. Uh, you know, the Pentagon was using it. Asymmetric Warfare Group was using it. Or, uh, several of our intelligence agencies were using it to understand insurgencies and understand insurgent movements from many different angles. There's so much to learn from that. Now, the, the, the film itself was made a long time ago. It's a French film. Um, and, you know, they're, they're speaking in French. And, it, of course, there is subtitles. You can find it for free on YouTube. Um, you know, it's, it's an old black and white film. It's not something that anybody's watching for entertainment, but sit there and take notes. Take notes from both angles. Take notes of how the ELN, which were the, uh, the communist insurgency that were fighting against the French occupation government in Algiers, write down how they were organized. Write down what they were doing. There, there was a lot about their internal organization and tradecraft that was openly talked about in that film because that film was propaganda for their cause mm. write down who they targeted how they targeted their terror attacks and why mm. and then examine it once you're done watching it from that angle go back and watch it again from the angle of the french from the reactionary forces both from the police side of how the police dealt with it, maybe uh, what they did that was uh, positive, what they did that was negative, that caused more problems, uh, follow-on problems, and then what the French army did. When the paratrooper battalion came into the city of Algiers, 
and they occupied the CASPA. Um, what what was the outcome of that, and what did they do uh, that was both positive and negative? How did they eliminate the insurgency, and then the insurgency grew again from there? How what steps did they take? I would say that the Battle of Algiers is probably the most influential film both as a historical document and a training film for a lot of different reasons that is, that's open source today uh, that anybody can watch. Uh, another film and a book that, that would go along with that, and, and this would be uh, highly controversial for some folks, I know, uh, but watch the film Che. It was uh, Steven Soderbergh's film. It, it was uh, starring Benicio Del Toro. He played Che Guevara. There were two parts to it. It's, it's very long. Um, but, and, and I know, that, you know, Che Guevara, there's a lot of people who are going to react negatively to that, as they should. Uh, you know, this, this guy was a communist murderer. He was, you know, bin Laden before bin Laden. And uh, Felix Rodriguez hunted him down, and, and that's a really incredible story as well, hunted him down in Bolivia and sent his head back to Langley, uh, as he should have. But that film is very important in terms of how to organize guerrilla bands, how they're organized, how to keep people motivated, both uh, – the successes in the Cuban Revolution, and there, and and in turn, where it went sideways in Bolivia, the mistakes that they made in Bolivia that led up to all of them being liquidated. Uh, on that note, Guerrilla Warfare by Che Guevara. You can find this free online. I have a PDF of it up on uh, brushbeater.org. You can look at the the reference libraries, along with a lot of other really good stuff that's up there. But Che Guevara's insights on leftist organization, how leftist movements work, um, how to create revolutions among people that may not necessarily be uh, receptive to it in the beginning. This is all really good insights on how the left operates and how they continue to operate in the United States. Um, because it, it, he, his book, in the very beginning of it, uh, says that the United States is his primary target. What he wanted to do was take down the United States from within. And he was going to begin by toppling the governments of South America and Central America to create a guerrilla movement and a guerrilla base from which they were going to operate in taking down the larger United States. Well, if, if we look at the, the governments of Central America, South America right now, that prediction has mostly come true with the exception of Brazil. Um, the, you know, the election, uh, this, this last election in Colombia, Colombia has long been one of the United States' best allies, and they also suffered under the longest civil war because they had an ongoing communist revolution uh, from ELN there as well as uh, the FARC, which uh, laid down their arms and, and most of their members uh, went over to the ELN and uh, took up arms yet again. But they just elected Gustavo Petro, who is a communist. He is a declared communist. I mean, this guy is to the left of Bernie Sanders. He was a communist guerrilla back in the 1980s. And here he is. Now he's the president. What was the platform that he ran on? Ending the relationship with the United States and opening it up to Russia and China. And he has made major moves in doing that. I mean, he announced almost immediately that they were going to have a, a uh, military partnership with the Chinese. They're going to be uh, uh, partners in military games that are going to be happening next month, um, which, which is the first time this has ever happened. Venezuela is hosting it. China and Russia, as well as Iran, are going to have representatives there. It's a special operations competition. Um, I wrote some stuff about that, had it up on uh, AmericanPartisan.org. You've got Nicaragua. Honduras, Panama, uh, El Salvador. These are all run by governments, of course, Mexico as well, with AMLO, who is a, a socialist of, of the Bernie Sanders type, that are all saying, yeah, we're, we're open to working with the Chinese and we're not so keen on the United States. Where is American leadership on this? 
where is uh, any plan whatsoever to mitigate any of this? Um, it, it's, it's not happening. It's absolutely not happening. Yeah, we've got a long battle ahead of us for, for sure. Um, and, of course, one of the things that um, I'm concerned about is middle America, middle-class middle Americans, um, all Americans. But, you know, the strength of America has always been its middle class. And that is certainly under assault. The family's under assault. Um, and I want to make sure people understand that they're going to have to really look hard at their finances. They're going to have to look at their assets. They're going to have to start getting, whether you like it or not, this thing is here. You're going to have to prepare to take care of your families. At the end of the day, you still got to, you got to feed yourself. You got to put a, a roof over your head. Um, cause this is going to be a long haul and, there's there's hints of the petrodollar going away, um, possibly losing our world reserve currency status. Uh, I don't think I, don't, I think a lot of Americans are are not um, familiar with what that means, um, how that's going to impact them. Um, listen, inflation is not so much things are going up in value that they're not. It's the dollar is losing value. Therefore, it takes right. more dollars to get the same thing. You're gonna, people are going to have to start divesting as much as they can out of the dollar and into other real-type uh, wealth, commodities, whatever, stuff, you know, stuff that has value uh, to, to, uh, to weather the storm. Crypto. Right. Uh, you know, look at Sri Lanka. Uh, Sri Lanka's economy has, has collapsed. A lot of it has to do with the International Monetary Fund and what have you. But, you know, if you went over to Sri Lanka and you asked them, said, hey, listen, do you want some crypto or do you want some gold coins? I, I'm, I think they would take the gold. And yep. my, my point is you're going to have to try to find some things that are uh, real stores of value. Right. That's right. You know, and, and precious metals. I mean, crypto, cryptocurrencies have some very interesting uses. Um, there, there's a lot that can be done with them. Um, but I, I'm not big on Bitcoin because Bitcoin um, was a giant bubble. The bubble popped uh, somewhat. It's gained a little bit back but it's it's kind of i think that it's still way overvalued for what it is there are others though ethereum um you know dogecoin is a really inexpensive way to get into it they uh, monero is another but th there's some interesting roles that um that crypto can play but when it comes to something that's tangible th there is no replacement for tangible assets and having silver having gold you know, having platinum, things that people recognize universally as having value and holding a value. Ammunition is another one. I mean, I know a lot of people who have bought a lot of firearms who, um, you know, they are collecting them or, or whatever it is, right? You know, and, and maybe building them as a hobby. There's a whole hobbyist aspect to the AR-15. But how much ammo do they have? And they may say, well, you know, a couple thousand rounds. Well, that's a training budget is what that is. I mean, it takes you several thousand rounds to become truly proficient with your weapon platform. You know, and, and ammunition has its own intrinsic value to it, too. I mean, when, when uh, I was buying ammo and, and doing a lot of training, um, both, you know, guys in my unit, we were doing a lot of training on the weekends. We were going to, uh, you know, doing various competition things and stuff, uh, IPSC and IDPA and, and different shoots right there around Fort Bragg. Um, you know, we were buying up a lot of ammo and ammo was a quarter of the price, what it is now. And we thought that it was expensive then. And so a lot of us got into reloading, um, you know, but, but 
even then we thought that, that times were bad in, in uh, the late 2000s and uh, in, into the early 20 teens. And, and now look at how far down the road we are now, you know, ammo, ammunition and components to make ammunition is another intrinsic value item and, and one that you can't replace. And then the last one that I would say is, is having simple hand tools, um, you know, things, Things that, that you don't really think about, but like having a generator, having tools to work on the generator, to maintain it, um, you know, simple items to maintain your vehicle, you know, having spare oil around, you know, that, that's one of the things that is not really talked about here lately, but oil is getting kind of hard to find. You know, you go to change the oil in your vehicle, like me, I, I drive a diesel truck and diesel oil is getting in short supply um you know it, it and when you do find it it's substantially more expensive than it was before there's a lot of reasons for that uh but we can't blame everything we can't blame all these material shortages on covid alone so you know you know the, the having items of intrinsic value having items of uh having material of uh, not necessarily just barter value, but day-to-day living value as well. That, that's all really important. And um, what everybody really needs to be doing right now is writing down the items that you use day-to-day that are important for sustaining a quality of life. And have some more of that stuff on hand. You know, don't go overboard with hoarding things necessarily, but have have stuff that makes life easier. You know, have, um, you know, we're all familiar with with third world living, as I call it. How do they live? You know, and, and one of the things I think is is really neat in uh, the preparedness community and, and people who have awakened to kind of the, the direction of things is they're getting back into an, animal husbandry and in a really big way. You know, everybody aware, around where I live are now into raising chickens, are trading goats. Um, you know, if, if they've got the space for it, raising cows, but, uh, you know, small animals like goats and chickens are really popular in a lot of corners of the world because it doesn't take a lot of space to raise them. They're pretty easy to raise. They're impervious to, uh, environmental changes and fluctuations and, you know, they're easy to keep fed. That's, that's why like, uh, overseas in Iraq or Afghanistan, you didn't see too much beef. They, it wasn't that they didn't eat it. It was that it takes so much longer to raise it and resources to raise it. You can raise goats. You can raise chickens on your own. Um, and, you know, weather the storm and learn those skills. And, and it doesn't take a lot of talent to do it and to get it right. They kind of maintain themselves until it's time to butcher them. And, it, you know, it, it's the learning curve is not as steep as it would be um, say if you're, you're trying to raise your own cows. So th- those are things too. And, and raising your own food, raising gardens, um, learning how to do that. There is a, there is absolutely a learning curve to raising your own gardens, but it's, I'm very thankful to see that a lot of people are getting into that. And that was another topic of conversation after hours, after class was everybody. And, and this was really cool to see Everybody that was there, I had a, a husband and wife duo there in, in uh, the, the fighting carbine course, which was awesome. I had um, uh, another couple of ladies that were in the intelligence class, which was really awesome. And everybody there was sharing their secrets or, or like what they were, uh, you know, their tips and tricks for growing their gardens this year. And that's something I haven't seen in the past years, but I was seeing this go around. That was the coolest thing in the world to hear that um, and, and very uplifting for me personally. And so th- these are all things uh, that that you should be doing. You should be getting into now more sustainable living in that that aspect of not relying on everything that comes out of a can, you know, or comes that it's a uh, store bought. You know, the last thing is maybe change, change your diet. Um, you know, go to, go to foods that are inexpensive to store up. There, there's a reason that rice and beans are a staple food in every corner of the world. 
every corner of the world, you're going to find people that eat rice and beans. And it just so happens that if you go to the store, you go to Walmart or Costco or wherever, big box store, you're going to find that rice and beans are extremely cheap to buy in a, a big quantity. And so get into the habit of storing that stuff. It doesn't have to be expensive to get into stockpiling a little bit of extra food. You know, and, and, and the next thing you know, you haven't spent a whole lot of money, but you have a way to feed your family for the duration of an economic downturn. Or maybe times are starting to get a little bit lean, but you still have stuff. You still have a way to weather the storm. Absolutely love it. This is yeah, stuff awesome. that you can, yeah, this is stuff that you can, you don't have to live out in the country either. You can be in yeah. an urban environment. You can be in the neighborhood. You can plant a garden in the backyard. You can put some chickens back there. I've, I hate to say it, but I've actually even seen some of the guys put some goats out there, but your HOA might have a problem with that, but I have seen it. Um, fantastic advice as far yeah. as thinking about what money is. Money can be a lot of things. It can be, it can be your eggs from your chickens. It can be ammunition is absolutely a fantastic uh, type of money. I mean, it's divisible. Uh, you can you know, hand off boxes of ammo. You can hand off ammunition individually, but it does have an intrinsic value. It also has multiple purposes. So I think you really touched on uh, really kind of getting the brain working as far as thinking about uh, what you have on hand and the, and the, uh, the multitude of uses that you can use that for. And, and getting small, you know, getting small, getting back to the basics, kind of just getting real again. And I uh, really appreciate that. Um, listen, NC Scout, how do, how do people get up with you and how do people find out uh, what you got going on and what courses you're offering? So course calendar is up, rushfeeder.org slash training calendar. Got all the dates up for the remainder of the year. I'm going to be getting the 2023 dates up here in about a month. Um, and I'm going to go to, to different corners of the United States. Uh, last month, I was out in Wyoming. I just got back from Tennessee. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be back out in Wyoming and in Utah as well here in September. Um, and, and I'll be talking a, a little bit more about that uh, later on. I've got uh, my podcast, Radio Contra, is up. You can find that on Podbean. Uh, and, of course, AmericanPartisan.org, which is a daily news aggregator, as well as original content that's up on there. I've got a whole bunch of contributors with military special operations backgrounds, um, guys that are, are willing to share their wisdom and really a clearinghouse for a heck of a lot of knowledge that's up on there on a daily basis. Um, I'm personally in, in uh, the middle of writing a book as well on communications, and it's going to be the first one of three that I'm going to be putting out. And uh, I'm really excited for all of this stuff. So folks can, can find me in a variety of different ways. And um, it, it's, you know, come out and train. Come out and get that training and, and put in those hours and learn those skills because it's skill, it's skill that carries us through everything, uh, not necessarily stuff. And, you know, our training and our level of training, our best level of training is what we always default to under duress. And so that's why that's been my primary mission uh, for, for several years now is, is to train good folks, is to train patriots, is to train um, active duty, former military. Uh, and, and I just have people that come to class of, of all different backgrounds, and they're all great God-fearing folks. And it, it gives me the, the best feeling in the world because I have the best people in this country that are coming out and training. And I get to share my knowledge with them. And, and we're building each other up and we're building that community. And uh, I'm really, really proud of it. And I'm thankful for this opportunity to be on with you guys. It's always an honor. Well, I tell you, we, we sure, we certainly yeah. appreciate you pulling over to the side of the road and, uh, you know, and taking some time with us uh, on your journey back home from, uh, from one of your training events. But, uh, you know, we're going to stay in contact. We always love to have you on. Yeah. Always a pleasure, my friend, uh, fantastic knowledge, uh, that you've lived. And, uh, so 
I know that uh, this will benefit a lot of uh, our listeners, and I am a better man for having listened to you today. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pinelander podcast. And if you enjoy our content, we hope you'll check out our sponsors, Blacksmith Publishing at blacksmithpublishing.com. We also have a lot of cool stuff over at the general store at pinelander1776.com. And if you're interested in helping develop our country's next generation of warriors, uh, we hope you consider the American Gogi Project. Uh, you can learn more about it through the pod, this podcast platform at podbean.com. Until our next meeting, remember to keep your head on a swivel, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. And to each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. God bless Pineland. Land.